Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning, those of you who are watching online. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I know you guys could all just hear me without the mic. The mic is really for people who, it, it's the connection for others to be able to hear that are not present in the building with us. So, but I want to acknowledge that because I don't always acknowledge people who are like, lis- if you're listening on the podcast, maybe on a Tuesday, it's great. We're in the building on Sunday morning. Um, I'm Nikki, and we're going to be talking about reimagining worship uh, this morning. And, but I don't want to start there. I want to start someplace. I want to start with food because um, I really love food. And it, th- th- it's all connected, all right? So we have a favorite uh, casserole that we make. It's called Swiss chicken casserole. And if you're, ever, if you're somebody who has to create food for a large group of people, it's really great when you can find that meal that everybody will eat. You don't have to argue, and it's just like, it's a winner. So Swiss chicken casserole is like the winner in our house. People ask for it. Everybody knows how to make it. Um, but it requires work and effort. So when we, when we had to make it, I made it just two weeks ago. I had to go through my pantry and look like, do we have, it requires certain things, like, of course, because it's a casserole, uh, cream of, some kind of cream of, I think it's cream of mushroom soup. Um, we needed chicken breasts, so I had to look, like, is, if it's in the freezer. I don't know if you guys have this issue. Like, stuff goes into our freezer, but it never comes out of the freezer. That's my confession. Like, when Chris was talking about confession, I'm like, I got some confessions. Our freezer um, and everything that's in it. Uh, so what we end up doing is we just go and buy more chicken. So there's all this frozen chicken, and neither one of us are like, I don't want to go defrost that. So we end up with mass amount of chickens. We have to change that up. Anyway, so I realized I didn't want to defrost chicken. I had to go buy the chicken. Buy. We added some things. So I had like fresh mushrooms because I really love mushrooms. Um, and then it needs stovetop stuffing over it, and we needed Swiss cheese. So I gathered all that stuff, went to the store, went to Aldi, got all my stuff. I had to make sure I had my quarter, right, because when you're in Aldi, you need your quarter um, and your extra bag. So I did all that, came home, brought everything inside, and then I start the work of getting ready. So I lay out the cheese, and I bought a brick, so I had to slice it, um, had to slice up the mushrooms, got the chicken out, and then flavoring it, like putting my, making sure I had salt, and then realizing our pepper grinder was empty of pepper, so I had to unscrew that and add the pepper back in because we really like our pepper grinder, um, and put it all together, finally put it on the pan, heated up the oven, opened up the oven door, s- stuck it in there, closed it up, um, and the casserole had to cook. So what I want to ask you is, at what point in that whole process am I cooking? Like, is it when I'm slicing the cheese? Or is it when I'm finally putting it in the oven? Is it when I'm at Aldi and I've got the quarter and I realize, like, I've thought through this whole thing? Like, at what point am I cooking? Is it when the things are boiling or cooking actually inside? Is it when I was chopping? Is it when I'm adjusting all the ingredients in my head, right? Because you know this, like, even with a recipe that you make regularly, there's things you're constantly adjusting, like, how many people am I feeding? Um, was it when I was opening up the cans of soup and, like, scooping them out and thinking about all the dishes in the sink? Like, oh, I gotta wash all these, di- who's gonna do all these dishes? Like, what point are we actually cooking? Um, so I looked, it, I looked it up, went to Webster's, right, because I'm like, I need an actual definition. I'm big on definitions. And cooking was defined as combining, mixing, or heating. So at any part along that process is cooking. 
But the thing is, there's also like an art to cooking. For those of you who love to cook, there's something about even thinking about cooking. We have a variety of like cookbooks. I have this uh, this idea in mind that at some point I'm going to be a vegetarian because it's supposed to be really good for you and good for the earth. So I have this beautiful, actually, Anne, you bought me this beautiful vegetarian cookbook and I'll open it up and admire all these like gorgeous like meals well done. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that person. Um, is that cooking? When I'm like thinking about, thinking about it and looking at it and admiring it. Um, there's all these beautiful pleasures about cooking. Like there's the methodology, there's your preferences to ingredients. There's all these things that create kind of that whole experience around cooking, right? And we know when we're eating, right? Because that's when the food is actually going to our mouth. But really there's that whole idea of like what defines cooking. Um, and I would say that when we go to talking about worshiping, that in church life, worshiping is a little bit like cooking. Like how do you know when worship is actually happening? In all the things that we do, how can we really define it? So I think about it, what I'm going to talk about is just the context of our, our church. Because every church has a different way that they would define worship and its expression. I'm going to talk a bit about my experience with worship and then how as a church we can worship together. So when I think about uh, when we walk into the doors of neighborhood, when for you, when does worship begin? Okay, nobody has to shout anything out. I'm not going to ask for that. But is it when you see the person who's greeting? and you get to look them in the eye, is that worship? Or is it when somebody offers you a hot beverage? Or like today, maybe it was a worshipful experience to know that there was a donut for you or for your kid. Like, you're, it filled you with gratitude or it filled up your stomach because you were hungry. Um, is it when we read that, l when we do the land recognition? I know that's something that's really meaningful for me. S something that creates grounding, reminds me of all the hundreds and thousands and millions of footprints that have been walked this ground before me. Is that worship? Or is it when I sit down to play us some songs? Maybe that's worship. Um, so like trying to define cooking, worship means different things for us depending on our context and our intent. Um, something about worship in the abstract, like when you ask somebody to define it, some people find a lot of pleasure in it just being mysterious. Like the fact that you don't actually define it. Um, that can be really attractive. There's something sacred and holy about this thing that you just feel. Like, I just feel like I worshipped. Um, I know I've heard people have said this before where you get, like, the Holy Spirit goosebumps. Have you guys heard that before? Experience where there, there's just something that happens where in your body you know, like, worship has happened or something spiritual has happened. But there's also something about having some clarity around the experience because sometimes we can get a little suspicious and we should be, we should ask good questions around an experience that nobody can quite describe. Like, what is worship? And somebody's like, well, it's just this feeling that I get, right? You can, there might be an eye roll or something like, I don't want to have anything to do with something you can't describe. So I think there should be some clarity around what we're doing, why we're doing it. Um, worship itself is defined as this feeling of reverence. It's something that we adore. In a, in a Christian context, often that is directed towards the divine. It can be directed towards God. And in this church, often we use that as a, we sing. That's one of the tools that we use for singing. Or we sing different songs. So I'm going to talk a little bit just about my experience with um, worship. Because worship happens differently in every context. But for me, the, the idea of worship, and pro one of the reasons why I'm speaking on this topic is because you probably would look at me as like your worship leader. And um, 
that started for me a long time ago. I would say I'm going to connect it with music. I have loved music since I was really small. Some of my first memories of church and music is sitting on a piano with um, at my little Lutheran church, the gal who played all the music, because that's, that's where women were acceptable to lead in a church, was like either the organ or the piano, right? We probably all have an experience with somebody where it was a woman who was in the organ or on the piano. Not that that's the only place women can be, but that, for me, that was my experience. And there was a gal who would, like, look at me every Sunday, and she'd do this, and I'd sit right next to her, and I would, like, direct her. I would do this. Like, <laughs> she's playing on the keyboard, and I'd be doing... For those of you on the podcast, I'm like doing the f- hand motions of direction. Um, and so then she's trying to play, like, and get everybody to sing, and at the same time trying to control, like, thank you, you don't need to, you know, make that movement. Um, but she made a space for me, and that helped me feel really special and find a place within church. Um, it also created some passion around wanting to learn how to play the piano. So I spent uh, the next 10 years learning how to play the piano. And that having that skill in a church created a space for me. There is always a need, I mean, all of us know this, there's always a need for volunteers of different kind of skill level within a church. But because we use worship, we play the piano, we sing, you do need somebody who can play the piano. So I had an inroad in the church for the rest of my life if I wanted to do that. Um, eventually, church evolved. Now, I was, the worship evolved. Now, I was a kid of the 80s, and so I don't know the difference of having a church that didn't already have contemporary praise and worship. But this whole idea around, so I'm going to give you a little history around that. Um, Before we ever were singing the songs that we're currently singing here at church, there were hymns. There have been hymns and the same songs that people have been singing for a long time. Um, And so there was a shift that happened amongst the church in the 60s where people decided that the things they wanted to sing had more to do with maybe their experience. It wasn't, they found that the hymns, that they, now there's nothing wrong with hymns, okay, but they found that the hymns are singing were dry, they did not connect to them, and they wanted something a little more feeling within their experience. So around the uh, 70s was when contemporary music be- began, or Christian rock. Now, there, I had a whole, I actually had a whole sermon, I told this to Chris earlier, I'm like, I had a whole sermon where it was basically just giving you guys like a TED Talk on uh, praise and worship and the history of Christian rock, and I'm like, I don't know if anybody wants to hear that later on, but we're not, I'm just giving you like the little snippet of that, but I went down the rabbit hole of like, where did this all come from, and who designed Christian rock, because in my house, because of that, everything we did was Christian, Christian music, Christian, Christian, that could be its own series, other than just reimagining, we could have it like, what happens when we actually put the word Christian in front of something, does it actually, what does it change? But for music, what it did was it created a whole new genre um, of, like, Christian rock. So there was, like, popular Christian music that you could listen to, um, which really just mirrored rock music. And it would mirror rap, or it would mirror, like, there was Christian heavy metal. There was a band called Petra. You can go on, like, your, wherever you stream music, you could take a deep dive on, like, Christian music if you wanted to. But that's where kind of our context of where we got music from was eventually... um, worship started and it was the idea that there was a worship leader and so that became a job for some people and that was an inroad for me. I loved the music. I loved the way that it um, went about. So um, anyway, if you want to take that deep dive, you could into uh, Christian rock. But there was something else when I was reading this week about 
um, there's something called worship wars, where often within a church, and this had happened in the church when I was growing up, was that there were the people who loved the hymns, and then there were the people who wanted their praise and worship. And there was friction. It created um, discontentment within the church because people wanted one or each or both. Um, and so there were churches looked to solve this problem by like creating a contemporary service. Nothing wrong with that, but it kind of kept, it kind of split churches up a bit. You had the people who wanted this, people who wanted this, and there, were, there was a hard time creating some camaraderie around that. And so the Barna Group did a research on this in uh, two th around 2010. And they were, um, what they really were focusing on was what gets in the way of people's connection with God. When we use, even when we use this word worship, like I said before, a lot of times we have some confusion around what that even means. And so here's what, um, a little bit of what they discovered. The major challenge, according to Barna, is not about how to use music to, to facilitate worship, as much as it's about helping people understand worship and have an intense passion to connect with God. This is all cited from three different recent national surveys directed on this issue. And that relatively few churches have intense musical battles, but most churches have too few people who truly engage in worship. Most of the church people who fight about their musical preference do so because they don't understand the relationship between music, communication, God, and worship. And this is all out of their research. Church leaders foster the problem, okay, so that would be like, Chris and I, I'm putting us, putting us on notice. Uh, church leaders often foster the problem by focusing on how to please people with music or how to offer enough styles of music to meet everyone's taste rather than dealing with the underlying issue of limited interest in, comprehension of, and investment in fervent worship of this holy and deserving God. And this is the quote that really got me. Um, music is just a tool meant to enable people to express themselves to God yet we sometimes spend more time arguing over the tool than over the product and the purpose of the tool. Mm. Um, two things out of that. I thought it changed up what I was going to talk about today because I had this whole vision of like talking about different songs that we sing, which that we could talk about at a different point. But what I got out of that was there's something about talking about what worship actually is and that also... For somebody like Chris and I, we often can spend way too much time thinking about, like, what is it that everybody needs? How do we, which is not bad to want to know what your church wants. That's an important part of leadership. But also, when you spend a lot of time trying to serve everybody's needs, you're going to miss out on something. Um, so, therefore, we're talking a little bit about what worship is and how we can do it together. Um, these skills that we have with, like, that I had with instruments or the ability to singing really isn't just about worship because there are times that I sing or I play the piano that I don't feel worship. I don't know if this ever happened to you. You've shown up to church and you're like, I'm not, I don't care what you sing or what you say, I am not feeling it. And I'll tell you, those, there are times. There are times I've sat down at that piano and I don't feel it. Um, and that's okay. So what we're going to talk about is how we, what are the things that we actually filter our experience of worship through. So we are never not worshiping. Let's just start there. Like our whole lives, our intent, our purpose is that we are people who worship. Um, anytime that we show reverence or adoration, any kind of thankfulness, we're worshiping. So the worship isn't just about the music. That can happen too. But the worship is just in and through us. It's a part of who we are. So we filter our worship experience through three things. First, we're going to talk about us. 
Like we are the first gatekeepers, it's others and then God. So uh, worship is, it's a verb, it's, it's, it's action, it's something that we're doing. Um, so because it's an action, it can often be hard to um, notice that you're actually doing it. It's like um, trying to explain when you're breathing. There are times like when we were, we've been led through like a breathing practice that you spend some time focusing in on your breath. And then there are other times you don't even realize you're doing it because it's just so natural, it's a part of what we do. Um, so what I want you to do is, I want you to imagine, I'm going to give you a couple of questions just to engage yourself with some places that maybe you go to worship, okay? Um, so I want you just to think, where are the places that you go that ground you, that make you feel safe or secure, that might open you up to happiness? Just take a minute to think about where are those places that ground you? Um, one of those places for me is Jay Cook. I love any time that I can be out in nature is a place where I feel like it, it can open me up. It, um, it requires me to observe things differently. I breathe a little different. And then depending on the activity, if I'm just walking, that's a little different than if I'm riding a bike or if I'm running or if I'm walking my dog. I'm kind of um, surveying, like, is there a bear? Is there, like, what's going Or are there more people? That's usually the case. Like, are there more people? My dog's going to chase after them. But whenever I'm out walking outside, I found that that's a place that I can usually pretty, pretty much stay open and be grounded. Um, church is an incredible worship place for me, but one of the things that I did this summer just to help me, because I, I was a little stuck. I'm like, I'm supposed to be in church and having this feeling, because this happens for me too, like where I'm like, I'm supposed to be feeling something when I'm in this space. Like, and if I'm supposed to be leading people, I should probably have this feeling. Um, that's some guilty stuff that I've had to deal with. Um, but what something that happened this summer because we moved into this spot is that I was able to bike from my house in Esco to um, church. And so multiple Sundays I like got up in the morning and biked here. And what that did was it created some space for me to observe how the landscape changes around us all summer long. Like I got to notice every time like the weeds changed, like there was a different color weed or the um, when I'd bike on the bike trail, I would notice like if the grass got really long or what the leaves were doing that day, what kind of birds. There was something in that experience that I was observant to what was happening. I breathed differently because I was on my bike, but because of that space, it um, opened me up. I didn't feel like it was closing down or felt like I had to be somebody special either. Like I have to participate anyway. I just got to be when I was there. Um, I had, I love to ride my bike. I find that that's probably when Chris asked the question about like, what do you like to do with your body? I love riding my bike. I don't know why, I just do. It's, I'm not even gonna fight it anymore. It's just the thing that I love. I really enjoy riding. And there was a, I was out riding on a trail and it was when all the trillium, which is like this little white flower was like in full bloom. And we just, I just happened to be out riding and I could not help but I had to stop because I'm like, when you're riding like on a mountain bike trail, you can't, you can't just like stare, like you will just go right off the edge. And so I'm like, I, I'm staring and I'm like trying to recorrect it because, but I'm being distracted by these beautiful flowers just are everywhere. And so I finally pulled off the trail and I just stood there looking at all this, and I was talking to them. I'm like, you are so amazing. And I'm like, oh, there's more over there, and I'll look at them over there. Um, and I, st I don't know how long I sat there, but just observing them there, there's more of them over the hill. Like, there's just an obsessive amount of flowers everywhere. Um, there was this beauty and this uniqueness that was all around me, 
And I would say in that moment, I was worshiping. I was worshiping everything that was was there. I, I, it wasn't like I was biking and like, I need to stop, because we do this, right? I need to stop and have a worshipful moment because I haven't worshipped in a long time, and that's what's required of me. That didn't. Ha- it just happened. It just came out of me. Um, these beautiful, lavish flowers that nobody told to grow, they just grow because that's what they're supposed to do. And what, it, what came out of me was gratitude. And also, I didn't want to miss it again. I'm like, I got to mark, which I did. I like pulled out my phone. I'm like, what day is it? I'm like, in a year from now, I'm like marking my calendar. I want to be out here because I want to see it again. I, know, I didn't want to miss the experience. Um, but having time to pause in the moment, like when we notice that, when you have... Uh, something that just hits you that feels extravagant or beautiful or that you just know, like, I probably should stay present. There's something about worship in that moment that we stay connected to. Um, anyway, the Trillium. I, can't, I, I look up the day. If you're curious, like, oh, I want to know when that is, how amazing to be out and see that beautiful thing. Um, another question I want you to think about is, like I was saying before, like, having that desire, like, I want to know that I'm worshiping. Who ever told you that the thing that you were doing wasn't worship? That's something to make an exchange about and be done with too because there are things that often we do in our body that can feel holy and sacred that maybe somebody told us that's not good or that's not right or not true. And I believe that part of our worship experience isn't just about what we do but also the things that perhaps we've stopped doing. Can we acknowledge the things that maybe we've stopped doing that were worshipful or good or thankful um, so in the same ways we can talk about all the places that we can see worship, where is there in you that maybe you stopped doing something because somebody told you that wasn't connected to God or it wasn't holy or it wasn't good? There might be something in that where um, there's something holy in breathing life into that thing again. All right. So one of the last things about worship being about you is that you are the one that's responsible for your own spiritual growth. I know somebody told me this a long time ago, but it's something that reminds me quite often is oftentimes we can feel like it's our job to, if somebody criticizes us heavily, that we're like, oh my gosh, I better do exactly what they told me to do. You are the one who's connected to your own body. If it feels good to you, if it feels right, if it's not um, impeding on the rights of somebody else, then that part, that gets to be your experience. So each and every one of us have the right to figure out what is the thing that helps us grow spiritually? What is the thing that makes me feel like I'm worshiping? Because maybe it isn't singing songs on the piano. That's okay. If you're feeling like, oh man, I just got to figure out how to sing more songs. Let yourself off the hook. That is just a tool. It's just a form of worship. If there is something else where you're like, that's my place where I get to worship, I'd encourage you to continue to do that because in that is growth for you. So you're in charge of your own worship experience, no one else. Um, be present, receive the gift, because that's your spiritual act of worship. So as we have these experiences alone, we also, when we come into a church like this, we are worshiping with others. So we bring all of those experiences that we've had into this place. Corporate worship, all being together, means that every single one of us gets to share the things that we worship together. It's about each other. Um, also, there are things that we worship that... Um, aren't just about us. So our shared adoration creates community. There's something about all of us being here in neighborhood. uh, We're sharing an experience together. It's something about the way that we do church that we agree with, and so that makes us a community.
But these places are formed all over the place. We do them with sports. Every time you put on a uniform, you're worshiping that thing. Um, maybe it's with politics. It could be with your family. It could be with your friends. Um, all of those places, there might be certain foods that we worship. And as I say that, because I've heard plenty of messages on worship where people like, be careful about worshiping your job or be careful about worshiping your family. I want you just to take pause with that for a second. Um, and if you would need to change the word, if I say like you're worshiping this and you're like, I'm having a lot of trouble um, with that word, feel free to swap it out because a word is just a word, but words matter. So even as I continue to talk and use the word worship and you're like, I don't like the way that's hitting me, you can swap it out. If you want to use the word honor or love, you can do that as well. Because we do, there's something about um, being in the context with other people that it's not necessarily bad that we would worship our family. Because if we look at the context of worship, it means that we're admiring, that we're honoring, that we're showing reverence. And, and all of those words, I would say, are really important in healthy relationships together. So stay open. Don't close down. Um, also, what we believe about our neighbor impacts the way we worship. So we do need to be engaged with how do we observe the people around us. And in this church community can be a beautiful place to do that um, because we want to look at the people around us with honor and respect and care. So what we believe to be true about others um, affects how we worship. And then lastly, I want to talk about God because the things that we believe about God really affect how we worship. Um, if we imagine, and I know there were certain beliefs about God that were handed to me that I believed a long time, um, but if for a long time I believed that God was really jealous about my worship, I heard that quite often, like he's a jealous God and he demands this worship from you, um, and, if, and then I had this perception that God was angry if he didn't get the kind of worship that he wanted. Um, also, there was a lot of talk about God required a blood sacrifice, right? There's a lot of that when we talk about the cross or we talk about atonement. There's a lot of things with blood. And so, I, like, as a small child growing up, hearing all that, you're trying to format, like, what is, what is it that God actually wants from me, right? What, is, what does God actually want? So if that's the way that we're picturing God, it could be really easy then to, to kind of narrow our focus in on what is God expecting out of worship. So that can often mean, like, we want to respect the word, Nothing wrong with respecting words, but if it, if it causes us to close down or shrink our beliefs, then I would encourage you to be curious about that. Um, if you believe that you can only worship in, like, specific holy places, you can only worship within this church building, um, and that you can only be led into worship by, like, somebody like me that says they have some spiritual authority, um, then be curious about that. If it causes you to close down, check in with you. Because remember, the first thing that we filter in our experience with worship is us. It has to go through us first. But if our belief about God is that God is divine, that any expression of love or mercy or beauty or freedom is, is God, then that would change how we'd worship. Then that would mean that it would probably open, open up the reality of worship and saying we can worship God anywhere and in any space. We can worship God when we look at the flowers. We can worship God while we're looking at our child and being grateful for them or in a good relationship or in it, like if we're at church and it, it is a cup of coffee that we're having. Worship is in all those things because God is there. So it can really expand our belief 
um, to include worshiping God in all spaces. Um, so our natural, I would say, your natural expression in any connection with the divine is worship. Your natural expression in any connection with the divine is worship. So if you're feeling goodness, mercy, or joy, or freedom, Chris, you can come on up, um, then that experience in itself is worship. And so at Neighborhood, um, I know a lot of our routine is there's always a message, and there's singing, and oftentimes we take communion, but one of the things I want us to grow in as a community is that that, that worship is happening all around us all the time. Um, and I'm not telling you all this to say we're going to change everything we're doing. It's just part of that is that we get to grow and develop together. So one of the things we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion. Um, there's something about taking that bread and that cracker and the juice together. Um, and we started out with meditation, and we're going to wrap up with some meditation. So two things I want you to think about are some of those questions at the very beginning. Um, where are the places that you go that you feel grounded? And then also if you wanted to, where did somebody tell you that your expression of worship was wrong or bad? If that's something that you need to get rid of in this space, this is a safe space to do that because I want you to know that you get to experience God um, in all things, in all the good and beautiful things. All right, Chris, did you have a reading that you wanted to do? Okay. All right, so as it gets past, oh, I'm staring right in front of the camera. As it's getting passed around, oh, I need a cracker. I mean, the body of Christ. I need the body of Christ. <laughs> Is there another? Thank you, Lamo. Appreciate that. Does anybody else need? Are you are you filming me talking about the body of Christ? <laughs> I like that. All right. So as a form of worship, I'll hold this. Thank you, Lamo. Um, thank you, Nikki. Um, if you're new to this idea of communion, it's a sacrament, something that is sacred to the individual, but also to the community. And it's something, um, along with baptism, we actually did sacraments today. We did confession. Um, it's something that ties us to generations and generations of generations of other Christians, which I think is important. Because uh, I often say that we're the only God-ordained church in the world, uh, which I believe, right? Uh, but we are part of something much larger, larger than just neighborhood. And there's been a lot of good and beautiful people and experiences that have been expressed the divine in so many different ways. And so when we can corporately do this together, is a beautiful thing. And um, Jesus got his buddies together. And he said, um, take of this in remembrance of me. That this is the body of Christ. And we like to think of that we do this of saying, oh, God, Jesus gave his body on the cross. Totally true. But they didn't know what was happening yet. So when Jesus says this, he's foreshadowing to the future. But in a, in a way, he's also pointing back to how he used his body. When we take communion, we are expressing that we are going to use our body like Christ. And Christ gave his body by believing women. Christ used his body by getting low. Christ used his body by making way bigger tables. Christ used his body to reflect divine love. So may we, in the same way as we eat this, use our bodies in the same way. Let's take together.
That's really, really dry. <laughs> um, all right, I can do hard things. And then Jesus said, to drink of his blood, which is a very, very um, awkward thing to say, right? It's a very interesting thing of Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me by drinking juice, if it's wine. But he says, like, we're going to drink blood. And why? Because Jesus, his blood is something so much more than what he died on the cross of his blood being poured out. But it's through that blood, through that sacrifice, through that beauty of giving that we find connection with one another. We find connection with God, but we also find connection with one another through this beautiful gift of giving of ourselves. So let's worship and drink of the blood as an act of giving. Yeah. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and then we will end our service. So God, thank you. Thank you that in Christ you were fully embodied. And that we have a cracker and a juice as a way of recognizing and as a way of worshiping and as a way of connecting of what it means and what it looks to be good and beautiful. So I pray that you will, that we will use our bodies as a, as a, a form and as an act of worship this day. That we can include someone, we can believe someone, and that we can give of ourselves to enrich the lives of the other people around us. So we love you. In your name, amen. All right, thank you, friends. If there's anything you want to process or something you'd like to pray with or pray for, um, Nikki and I will be available for the rest of the time. Enjoy your weekend.